Well, good morning, church family. My name is Andrew, one of the pastors here. I'm excited to look at the book of Matthew with this morning. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 15, so if you have a Bible, you can open up to that. And as you do, I want you to imagine yourself in this scene real quickly. Place yourself in the first century. You're walking with Jesus as he's doing his ministry. You're, you're following along. You're one of the disciples. And Jesus has been healing person after person and giving these long sermons on these mountains and by these lakes. And there's this incredible buzz about who Jesus is. And you get to be right next to him. You're walking alongside this rock star preacher who everybody is talking about. And as you're doing that, you're, you're coming through this town and a woman comes up to you, comes up to Jesus, calling out for help. And this is nothing new. This wouldn't be surprising. This is what has been happening throughout the Gospel of Matthew. People have been flocking to Jesus, asking Jesus for his help, and he's been healing and helping everybody who, who he comes in contact with. So you, so you think this is just normal. This woman comes up to Jesus, she asks Jesus for help, and, and you assume he's going to help her, he's going to heal her, and she's going to worship him, and everything's going to move on as normal. But something unusual happens. Jesus ignores this woman. He keeps walking. Creates some distance between himself and this woman, and yet she continues to call out for him, asking for help. And you, one of the disciples, you you're, you're like lagging behind. You're trying to create some separation between Jesus and this woman that he just ignored, and you're wondering what what is going on? Why did he just ignore her? He doesn't ignore people. And, and this woman continues to bother you, continues to ask you for help, for you to get Jesus's ear. And so you go to Jesus and you say, "Would you tell her to go away? She keeps bothering us." And then, even more unusual, Jesus compares her to a dog, kind of ignoring her, and, and, and it could be taken as an offense. You almost mistake Jesus in this moment for being a racist nationalist. See, this woman is not a Jew. She's not an Israelite. She's a Canaanite. And, and, and you're, you're confused, right? The story that we have this morning is it, it paints an unusual picture of Jesus at the outset. I mean, if we just read through this story and gloss through it, we would think our first image of Jesus is, does he not really care about people? We've seen him caring about people throughout the Gospel of Matthew, but why did he just ignore this woman? And then as she persisted, why did he compare her to a dog? Why is Jesus seeming to take on the characteristic of a racist nationalist here? Well, let me just clear the air. He's obviously not a racist nationalist. If he was, I sure hope we weren't sitting here worshiping him 2,000 years later. This story is going to set the stage for us to understand Jesus' great love, his radical acceptance of people who are different than him, and his radical way of expanding the kingdom to people that the average person normally wouldn't allow into their group of friends in their circle. And so this morning, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 15, verse 21 through 39. So if you could stand as I read this passage, it's on page 821 in the Pew Bible. Turn your Bible on, open your Bible up. If you don't have your own Bible, use the Pew Bible and open up and get your eyes on God's Word. And if you don't own a Bible, please take that one with you. We would love for you to have a copy of God's Word. Reading from Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from the region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. 
And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and she knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and to throw it to the dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. And Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee, and he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus came to his disciples, then Jesus called his disciples to him, and he said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, Where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven, and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up seven baskets full of broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men, besides women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into a boat and went to the region of Magadan. God, I pray that you would help us to understand Jesus more clearly this morning. Thank you for recording this interaction and this story for us, Lord. I pray that you would use it to glorify yourself, to help shape us for the good of those that we interact with, and for the advancement of your gospel. We pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, so there's the story this morning that at, at quick glance, at a glossary reading, is, it's hard to understand Jesus. And sometimes that's the tension with the Gospels as we read through it. It's kind of hard to understand what's going on and what do we get out of this. And like I said, this first section here, Jesus' interaction with the Canaanite woman, it almost makes Jesus look like a racist nationalist. And he's not, and we're going to talk about that this morning. And in fact, talk how he engages some of what is so common in our culture today. And we're going to mostly focus on verses 21 through 28 because 29 through 39 has some similar themes to what we've already covered in Matthew. So 29 through 31 is Jesus healing a bunch of people, a bunch of crowds. We've seen that over and over again in the book of Matthew. Verses 32 through 39, are, it's a second story of Jesus multiplying fish and loaves. He had just done that a couple chapters earlier, this time to a group of 5,000 men plus women and children with five loaves and two fish. Here he does it again to a group of 4,000 men plus women and children with, what is it, seven. And so these are two different stories, but a similar thing that Jesus is doing, showing his followers, showing the crowd, showing the people his power and his ability to multiply 
the little bit that we have for the good of his people. But I want to zero in on verses 21 through 28 this morning. As we do, I think there's three important things happening in this text that we need to grasp this morning to better understand who Jesus is and how he works. Again, as we walk through the Gospel of Matthew, we're talking about discipleship. As a church, part community exists to be and make disciples. That's an apprentice or a follower of Jesus. The whole reason that we exist is to become more like Jesus together. And how do we become more like Jesus? What better way to become more like Jesus than understanding how Jesus lived his life, what he did, and then surrendering to him, bowing our knee to King Jesus and seeking to follow him. And so this morning we get this this picture, this understanding of who Jesus is. And three things I want to pull out from this text The first one in this story, verses 21 through 28, is we see Jesus is turning a small ethnocentric religion into a large multi-ethnic movement. Verses 21 through 28. And so we see Jesus walking through. He, He leaves the region that he was in. Verse 21 tells us that Jesus went away from there and he withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. These were these are Gentile territories. So before this, Jesus had been in cities, he had been in regions that are controlled by the Jews. He's among the Jewish people, he's in the Jewish cities, he's protected by the Jewish culture and the people and the way of doing things. But here he, he steps out of their territory and he enters a Gentile city and community. Verse 22 tells us, Behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying to him. So again, he's in Gentile territory. A Canaanite is a, is a Gentile. It is a, in this culture and context, it's a pagan person who has no fear of God. In fact, you can trace the Canaanites back to Genesis chapter 9. And you can follow them throughout the Old Testament. They're the group of people who are in the promised land. In Joshua chapter 2, when God called his people to go in the promised land, in Joshua chapter 6, when they marched around the wall in uh, the city of Jericho and the walls fell down, the Canaanites were the one who were, ones who were filling that city. And so here Jesus is in this, he's in this region surrounded by pagan godless people who had shunned God, and God had actually said, these are accursed people. They don't honor me. They don't submit to me. They don't follow my ways. In fact, they work against me and my kingdom. And so Jesus is entering into their territory. And in this, really what we see as this story unfolds is that Jesus is taking a small ethnocentric religion and turning it into a large multi-ethnic movement. See, from the very beginning, God had created a people to glorify himself and to bear his good nature and name out on the world. The history of Israel, the Jews, God's people, is that God called Abram out of nowhere and he said, I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing to the nations of the world. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, we see God giving Abraham this blessing. His name was Abram. God changed his name to Abraham and he said, through you, I will be a blessing to the people of the world. And so God's intent all along in creating the Jews and creating the Israelites was for them to be a blessing to the nations of the world. But they, just like many of us, they, they kind of they had small-minded thinking. They, they wanted to keep God's glory for themselves. 
they had taken God's Old Testament law and they had built upon it traditions and rules. We just saw this in Matthew chapter 15, the first part of it that we looked at last week. That they had set up all these systems and structures and traditions and the commandments of men to try and keep pagans or Gentiles or Canaanite people out. So they, they kind of found this pride in their religion, in their nation, in their culture, in their way of doing things. In fact, it's, it's, come, it's known by people who study the first century that Jews often referred to Gentiles as dogs, as like street dogs. They were, just, they were good for nothing because they didn't worship and honor Yahweh, the one true God. And so Jesus here is walking among these people, and what he's doing, he's not, he's not giving in to the cultural misconception that people who aren't Jews, that who aren't Israelites, are worth nothing, that they're dogs. He's actually playing with the disciples a little bit here. And so this woman, this Canaanite woman, follows him, and she's asking for his help, this Gentile woman. And he responds, first by ignoring her, and then when she persists, the disciples come to Jesus, and look at what they say in verse 23, the end of the verse, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. I mean, they're just, they're just living their lives in the normal way that the culture would. It's like we have all these different, these different nationalities and races and religions, and they're all separate, and they don't get along well with one another. And that was true of Israel. It was true of all these surrounding nations. And the disciples are Jews who Jesus is calling to follow him. And so they're still living in their culture with all these assumptions, with all these judgments about other people. And so their, their intent is get rid of her. She's a nuisance. She's a Canaanite. Send her away. Jesus in verse 24. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't confront them right away. It's interesting what he does. He kind of plays their game with them to reveal their idols and, and their, their hearts of stone. He says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So, so Jesus is saying, I, I don't have to heal her. She's a Gentile. She's a Canaanite. I, the Messiah, I was sent to the house of Israel. And this is true. Jesus' mission was to come and bring into order what God had set up with the Israelite people, with the Jews, that they would be a blessing to the nations. Jesus' mission was to the Jews, specifically. That was his first target, that I'm going to call the lost sheep of the house of Israel, the Jews who are looking for the Messiah, and those who have gone astray, those who have put tradition over true worship. I'm coming to call them back to repentance, to come and follow me, the Messiah, so that they would receive life, so that they would have a relationship with Yahweh. Jesus' main mission was to the Jews, but God's heart has always been for the nations of the world, to be blessed by the Jews and included in his family through Jesus, the Messiah. So, so Jesus is on the scene here now, and, he, and he's beginning to bring this thing to fruition. This promise that God had given them in Genesis chapter 12, that through you, through this nation, the, world's, the world will be blessed. And Jesus is here bringing this to fruition, but he's saying, I was sent first to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And this is why in the Gospels, oftentimes Jesus tells people who he does a miracle with not to go and tell people. He, it's kind of this small beginning, this humble beginning. He's like, as he's already said in Matthew, it's like yeast in the dough. His, his kingdom, his rule, his reign, his authority, his messiahship is being worked out kind of in, in the corners of society, in the, the castouts of society. And so his kingdom is growing, but it's growing. It's an upside-down kingdom, not a top-down kingdom. 
So he reminds his disciples, I was sent for the lost sheep of Israel. That's his first mission. But again, God's heart is for the nations of the world, and Jesus' heart is aligned with God's heart is for the nations of the world. It gets more interesting. Verse 25, but she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. So the disciples didn't do a good job of sending her away. And in fact, I don't think Jesus really wanted them to send her away. I think he's, he's trying to teach his disciples something here about loving others. Verse 26, and he answered her. So she finally gets into his presence. She kneels down before him. Lord, help me. And he answered her. It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. It's just an interesting phrase, isn't it? Can you imagine this, this desperate woman who has a daughter at home who's possessed with a demon? She's a Canaanite. That means she has all these other false gods. She's probably tried everything. She's heard about this, this Jewish figure, this Jewish Messiah who's healing people. She humbles herself and says, I'm going to try him. I've tried everything else. And in desperation, she comes to him. She kneels before him. A Canaanite would generally never kneel before a Jewish rabbi, a Jewish healer, because they don't believe in the the God of the Jews, Yahweh, but she's out of options. So desperately she comes to him. She throws herself before him. Lord, help me. And Jesus says, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Essentially, he's, he's calling this Canaanite, he's comparing this Canaanite woman to a dog who's so desperate and needy for something that she will eat the crumbs that fall off the table. He's saying that I've come to bring the gospel message to the Jews. That's who it's for. The meal is set up for the Jews. The, the Messiah is here for the people of Israel. And, and I'm not going to take the leftovers and give it to this Canaanite woman, to the Gentiles. That's how it appears. And it, it's interesting. I said earlier that the, that the Jews often refer to Gentiles as dogs. Jesus does that here, but he uses a different term. There's two words for dog in the, for dog in the Greek in the New Testament. One is a street dog. It's like, a, it's like a stray castaway. I've been to Romania a couple times, and there's street dogs everywhere. They're mangy, they're disgusting, they wander the streets, they eat your garbage, they're good for nothing. And this is the term that Jews often used for Gentiles. Street dog. They're, they're, they're no good. Jesus uses a different term for dog here. It's a, it's a house dog. It's a pet it's something of a little more status. And so I think what Jesus is doing here, even he's getting at the disciples. I think he's cutting them deep, saying, you, you see these people, these Gentiles, these, these non-God-fears, these people who are godless, as worthless. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to elevate it a little bit here. And it still doesn't seem great, right? He still seems a little bit racist and nationalistic. Like, I'm not going to care for those who are outside of Israel, but that's not what Jesus is doing. I think what he's doing here is working with the disciples. I think it's kind of this, this backhanded way of confronting their idol, of their religion, their nation, their, their ethnocentric, their small-minded religion, and he's expanding it. This is what he's doing throughout the Gospels of Matthew, and I think there's an explicit example of it here. He's expanding it into this large, multi-ethnic movement that will reach the world and the peoples of the world and Gentiles of all different stripes. And, the, and so I think he's doing that. He's also, I believe, testing this woman's faith. Because throughout the Gospels, we see people coming to Jesus and asking things of him, and he's healing them. He's, he's doing what they would ask, and yet 
many times after people get what they want from Jesus, they go their own way. And so I think Jesus is taking it a little bit deeper here with this woman. Verse 7, 27. So, so he gives her this comment, basically saying, you're not worthy of my help. That's essentially what he's saying. I wasn't sent for you specifically, and you're not worthy of my help. I've got a different mission, and you're outside of that primary mission. And it's interesting. She doesn't, like, she doesn't call him out for that. She just continues to pursue Jesus with desperation. Verse 27, she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. See, she hasn't elevated herself to the point of, well, I'm worthy of, of a blessing from a rabbi. I'm worthy of the blessing of God. I, I, I'm, I'm just as good as any other people group. I'm just as good as the Jews or the Gentiles. What about me? She, she doesn't do that. She acknowledges her status as, as something lower than this master. And again, Jesus doesn't call her a street dog. He, he compares her to like a house dog. So those of you who love dogs, you can see this. Like, yeah, that's still an honorable position, right? I mean, we buy sweaters for our dogs and spend money on them getting pampered. So Jesus isn't saying you're worthless. He's just saying compared to the master, this is a humbling position. And she says, she acknowledges it. Yes, even the dogs are worthy of the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Do you, do you see the type of faith that she had? And so that's the second point here is that this movement that Jesus is creating, this large multi-ethnic movement, is joined by faith. She, she comes to Jesus with faith. She's desperate. She's tried everything. Nothing works. She understands her standing compared to this rabbi who is called Messiah, the chosen one, the appointed one, the God of the Jews, the God of Israel, Yahweh, the one true God of the world. And, and she says, yes, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She's like, I'll take anything you've got. I'm desperate. You can throw me a bone or you can forget about me and a little crumb falls off and I will take that. I'm so desperate for anything. And she sees Jesus as somehow being elevated above everything else she's tried. All other teachers, all other healers, all other false gods that she's attempted to receive healing from. Verse 28, and then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. See, this is how we know that Jesus isn't a racist nationalist. Many people in, in all of the, it's not just about the Jews and the Israelites here, this is society, right? And this is our society. I don't think we're any different 2,000 years later. We, we want to ensure our comfort zones and our laws and our rules and our way of life and make sure that nobody affects it. That's what's going on here in the New Testament in the first century, Everybody wants to establish their religion, their laws, their way of doing life, and they want to do it from the top down. The, the Jews wanted a political ruler who would make their life comfortable and easy, and that God's kingdom would be from the top down. And, and Jesus here is saying, no, it's not like that. It, it values people. It values people of different tribes, different languages, different tongues, different nations. It's this multi-ethnic movement that's open to all, even the Canaanites, the ones who in the Old Testament were cursed because they're a godless people. There are people who don't fear God. There are people who hate God's people. And yet, because the Messiah is here, 
this, this what had become over time, this small ethnocentric religion, Jesus has come, the Messiah has come to open up the door wide, to make this a multi-ethnic movement for all people who would come to him in faith. Jesus answered her, O oh, woman. See, see, now he's elevating her. He, he, he's playing with the disciples, like playing into their cultural games. Remember, as we walk through Matthew, we're seeing that this is a kingdom in conflict, right? So the kingdoms of the world have these cultural games and these standards that we want people to conform to. And, and, and really, we just, we do. We want life to be comfortable for us. And that's what's happening here. And Jesus is playing with the disciples and he's saying, this is how you're accustomed to doing life. To, to thinking that the Israelites are something special and everyone else is a dog. And, he, and he's playing with them, he's stringing them out, but then he shows them, he elevates the woman. He says, oh woman, great is your faith. You're welcome in this family, you're welcome in this tribe. You can join this movement because you have faith. This is a reminder to us, church, that the movement of Jesus is joined by faith. It's not joined by ethnicity. You can't inherit the kingdom of God, the law of God on your hearts, by your ethnic background. You, you can't join Jesus' movement by family tradition. It's not gained by the passing down of religious rites and rules and rituals. Now, we should pass down our faith to the next generation. But this is a good reminder to all of us that we can't ensure that our children are saved by bringing them to church, by having them dedicated, by, by encouraging them to be baptized, by taking communion, by singing the right songs in the right ways, by going to church on the right days, by, by our religious traditions. That does not work. The kingdom of God, the movement that Jesus is setting up, is joined by faith. It's not passed on by ethnicity. It's not passed on by family tradition, though family tradition is not bad or wrong. But church, don't put your hope in the, tr in the religious tradition, in your family tradition. It's not passed on by religious adherence or works. I mean, how often do people in our culture think that faith is actually passed on? But I, I know so many people who grew up in churches and they... I've had this conversation over and over again with people in our community who we have spiritual conversations. And they're like, oh yeah, I believe in God. I'm like, great, tell me about that. Well, I went to church as a kid. I was baptized and then I got confirmed and then I stopped going. But yeah, I believe in God. That, that's how I was raised. In fact, I was doing premarital counseling with a couple once, and I just asked them where they would put themselves on the spectrum of Christianity. Like, are you a convinced Christian reading God's word, wanting to follow him? Or did you grow up with it, and so you claim to be a Christian just because you grew up with it? Or um, I, there were a couple other, I had like a little chart, and they placed themselves on inherited faith. Like, yeah, my parents did this, and they raised me to do it, so therefore I associate myself with that, but I have no practice of following Jesus myself. And this is so common in our culture and often in our churches where we, where we think, we, we kind of assume a relationship with God because we inherited it from somebody else. Or because I actually, I was working at Caribou, this was years ago, and one of my coworkers, we were having a conversation about faith, and, and I asked her if she had any faith. She said, yeah, well, I'm a Christian. I said, 
that's amazing. So am I. What makes you a Christian? She said, well, it says in God we trust on our money. I'm American. I'm a Christian. Not even a lie. This is, this is her thought process. And this is many people in our communities, in our neighborhoods. And, and, and they're confused. And Jesus would come after them and he would remind us not to assume that they're okay just because they've grown up in a Christian nation but he would remind us to come after them with the gospel, to pursue them and to invite them into this movement, which is joined by faith, not by being born into a certain family or into a certain culture or into a certain nation or into a certain religious practice. And Jesus' heart is for people. He's welcoming her in. Oh, woman, great is your faith. This movement, this international, multi-ethnic, bottom-up, serving others movement is joined by faith and faith alone. This text shows us that this faith must become personal and genuine. That's the third thing I want to notice here is that genuine faith, genuine and personal faith, it consists of four things in this text. There's many more things throughout scripture, but I think there's four things specifically in this text that clue us into what genuine personal faith looks like. Genuine personal faith consists of appealing to Jesus' mercy, to acknowledging Jesus' nature, to persisting in your relationship with Jesus, and to his reward. Let's look at that quickly. Genuine personal faith consists of appealing to Jesus' mercy. Look at verse 22. And behold, a Canaanite woman from the region came out crying, Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Mercy is, is not getting what you deserve. Mercy is, is strength kept under control for the good of someone else. She's acknowledging that Jesus, this rabbi, this one who people are questioning if he's the Messiah, she's acknowledging that there's a unique power to him that requires her to, as it says in verse 25, to kneel down before him. Have mercy, O teacher, O great one. Oh, one who can work wonders, one who can do miracles, have mercy on me. She appealed to Jesus' mercy, not to her own merit, not to her own worth, not to her ethnicity or her religious upbringing or her religious tradition. See, that she, she acknowledges, yet even the dogs, even me, even a, a Canaanite cast-off woman, but she's coming to Jesus, appealing to his mercy. The second aspect of genuine personal faith that we see in this text is acknowledging Jesus' nature. So verse 22, she says, Have mercy on me, O Lord, Lord, Master, Son of David. Son of David. It was known throughout the world that the Messiah would come in the line of King David. She's not an Israelite. She's not a Jew. But she has heard this. She knows some of the Jewish beliefs. And here she is acknowledging the, the, the term son of David is acknowledging that she trusts in Jesus' nature. That he is the son of God. That he is the son of David. That he's the promised Messiah. That he's the one who has come to rescue Israel from their sin. And here she's hoping that in his mercy she will include her a Canaanite Gentile. She appeals to Jesus' mercy, not her own worth, not her own merit. She acknowledges Jesus' nature. You are the son of God. You are the son of David. You are the son of man. You are the appointed Messiah. She acknowledges that he's the master. 
in verse 20, 27, yet even the, the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She's elevating him. She's acknowledging who he is. The third characteristic of faith here is persistence. She just won't give up because she's convinced of who Jesus is, that he has something to offer her that nobody else in the world can. No political ruler, no government official, no other religious healer, no self-help methods. She's convinced. Have mercy on me, O Lord. I know who you are. I believe who you are. She has this growing personal and genuine faith, and she persists at the feet of Jesus, begging and asking him to help because he is the one true helper. And then the fourth characteristic of a genuine personal faith here is a reward. Her daughter was instantly healed. And then verse 29 through 31, we see more healings come. And then verse 32 through 39, we see Jesus multiplying the fish and the loaves to feed the people. There's a reward for personal and genuine faith. Now, we don't always see the reward in the way that she did. And there's not always physical healing in this life. Oh, how I wish there was, church. I know so many of you are suffering through things and, and working through things and you're praying and you're asking and you're pleading with God to do a miraculous work of healing and sometimes he does and other times he doesn't. We see him doing that here, that the reward of her faith was that her daughter who was possessed by a demon was healed. I don't know why we don't always see that. I don't. I wish I did. I wish I had an answer for you. But continue, church, to persist in faith and keep in mind that you have received a reward, an eternal inheritance in the gospel. I think there's a unique reason why Jesus did so many healings here in the gospels. And I don't know exactly, again, why we don't see that here now today. But we do know that as the New Testament presses on, that all of these promises come. That though we're afflicted, though we go through trials, though we will die and suffer in this life, there is an eternal reward for us to look forward to. The disciples who are following him here, many of them martyred. Affliction to the point of death. So here Jesus heals this Canaanite woman. I think it's to show the disciples, this is who I am. This is the nature of my kingdom. It's open and welcoming to all people who would come to me in faith. And so Jesus heals her. And church, regardless of what you're going through this morning, a, a characteristic of genuine personal faith is to remember the reward, the eternal reward. There is no promise that you will be healed in this lifetime, but there is a Christ who we ought to come to and appeal to his mercy, acknowledge, acknowledge his nature, persist, and then hope in the reward that he's calling us home to. With this idea of genuine and personal faith being shown to us in this passage, I want to just close down the sermon this morning by asking a few self-assessment questions. Each one of us, ask these questions of yourself. Are you appealing to Jesus' mercy, or are you trusting your own merit? Church, so, so often we get trapped in this, thinking that, well, God will heal me, or... He will help me or he will accept me based off of my own merit, my own ability to, to clean myself up and to approach him. I mean, 
Man, even as we gather on Sundays, I know some of you, you come here, and I, I know that you do this because I do this, and we're like each other. You, you come here and you think, I've got I've to improve my spiritual life to experience God in worship. No, church. Come, gather, go and scatter, appealing to his mercy, not your merit. This text reminds us that, that we are like dogs begging for crumbs to fall off the table. By the way, the majority of us are Gentiles. Similar to this Canaanite woman. It's by God's mercy that we're here. That we have this book. That we have these glorious songs that we're able to worship. That we're able to take communion. It's by his mercy. And so church, are you appealing to Jesus' mercy or are you trusting your own merit? Second question to ask yourself this morning, are you acknowledging Jesus' nature or are you trying to improve your own? So often in, in this life, we, we get wrapped up into like doing self-assessment things and you know, strength finders or Myers-Briggs or Enneagram and learning all these things about us and trying to understand ourselves so that we can improve ourselves and our standing with the world. And there's nothing wrong with those. I, I really enjoy those assessments, actually. But, but so often, and I just see this rampant in our culture that we are so fixated on trying to improve ourselves, improve our nature and our nurture. I, I want to understand my nurture, what happened to me as a kid and in my formative years and how it shapes me here and now, and I want to change it and fix it. I want to understand how I'm wired and how I'm made so that I can navigate this life. And we get trapped in that thinking, and I want to just ask us, church, this morning to assess are we trying to fix ourselves and improve our own natures? Or are we acknowledging Jesus' nature? He's the son of God. He's the son of man. He is the one true man who lived the life that we can't live and died the death that we deserve so that we could receive a new nature in him. Amen? Not try to fix up this old broken nature, but receive a new nature, a heart transplant, a heart that was made of stone is replaced with a heart of flesh. And so church, I implore you this morning, ask the question, but I implore you to just acknowledge Jesus' nature. Get out of your own nature, your own head, your own heart, assessing who you are and just fall down at the feet of Jesus, appealing to his mercy, acknowledging his nature. And then lastly, third question, are you persistently pursuing Jesus or passively waiting for help. I just, I love how the woman here just persists. I mean, if the Messiah, if this, this rock star preacher, Jewish rabbi who everyone is flocking to ignores you, and then if he compares you to a dog, you're probably going to go away. She doesn't. She's convinced that he has something to offer, that he will offer it to her if she continues to persist. I think far too often we just kind of go through life passively waiting for God to intervene. And so the question for you this morning as you self-assess is, are, are you kind of just passively waiting for God to intervene in your life and to lead you? Or are you passionately pursuing him with persistence? That's the question also. I implore you to do that. Look at this example here. Run to Jesus. Follow Jesus. Cry out to Jesus with whatever your need is, whatever is on your heart He's there for you. We have an opportunity to persistently pursue Jesus this morning. 
I mean, you need to do this in your own life, in your own spheres of influence as we scatter, pursue Jesus with passion. But every week when we gather at Park Community Church, we want to create rhythms of persistently and passionately pursuing Jesus. That's why we sing songs about Jesus. That's why we open up his word and talk about Jesus. And it's why we take communion every week. We take communion every week. One of the reasons is that it's a visible reminder and practice for us to pursue Christ. We have two stations here in the front and one in the back. And this is actually a physical reminder, the physical act of coming to the table. I hope for it to be a weekly reminder for you to pursue Jesus. And we're actually coming towards him. We're chasing him. We are, we are bowing the knee before him, saying, I need you. Lord, have mercy on me. You are perfect. You are holy. You are other. And you receive me. And so this morning as we respond, we don't necessarily, these are good self-assessment questions, but I don't want you here. I don't want you to walk out of here today thinking, I'm not doing enough. I'm not doing all these things. No, I'm not doing those. Walk out of here today saying, I, I had an opportunity to pursue Jesus. Because as we pursue Jesus, we meet him. He meets us where we're at. And he leads us to where he longs for us to be in his presence, where there's pleasures forevermore and fullness of joy. Let's pray, church. Jesus, I appeal to your mercy right now. This room is full of people who are indebted to you. And so we appeal to your mercy, Lord, kill our own pride and our, our propensity to, to trust our own merit. Jesus, we acknowledge your nature, that you are the son of God, you are the son of man, you are fully man, you are fully God, you lived the life that we can't, you died the death that we deserve, and you overcame sin and death in the grave in our place on our behalf. And God, may even the act of taking communion this morning and singing these songs be persistence. May we persist in pursuing you, and may you remind us of our eternal reward of righteousness. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.